You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday the 22nd of February. I'm off to Saudi Arabia today for the Saudi Cup, in which one of the leading fancies will be Mandaloon, trained by Brad Cox and ridden by Florent Giroux in the colours of Judmont Farms. That horse now, for the time being, as of yesterday evening, is the official Kentucky Derby winner of 2021, because the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission has formally disqualified Medina Spirit for the overage of Better Methazone, that unless you've been on Mars for the best part of the last year, you will be well familiar with. There's also been sanction for trainer Bob Baffert. Patrick Cummings is the director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. We've been following this case all through. This is where we must start today, Pat, because this is one of the most sensational disqualifications in global horse racing history for all that this ruling is not a surprise. Indeed, it would have been surprised if it had been the other way around. That's right, Nick. Uh, third time in the history of the race that the horse that was first past the post has been disqualified. Of course, we all remember the maximum security situation from 2019, excuse me, rather 2020. And uh, no, 2019, gosh, it's been a while, Nick. Anyway, so much as uh, water has gone under the bridge since then. And uh, Dancer's Image back in 1968 was disqualified for a, uh, the, the finding of a prohibited substance. Um, this would make it the third time. And uh, as much as the stewards ruling uh, issued to, on, on Monday seems cut and dried, unfortunately, as almost uh, everything with this case has been, it, it is not necessarily the end of the story. So even Wikipedia currently tells you that Mandaloon is the 2021 Kentucky Derby winner in the hands of Florent Giroux for Brad Cox and Judmont. But Baffert has 10 days in which to lodge an appeal. What has his now famous or infamous attorney, the voluble Clark Brewster, had to say about an appeal? Well, certainly that one is forthcoming and they have 10 days to file that, but there's every indication that that will be, um, I believe the word used was immediately or as immediate as they can. Uh, Clark Brewster has indicated that there are some differences in the regulations of the Kentucky Rules of Racing um, in regards to the specific type of beta-methazone. And another one that has to do with how the uh, how it is administered and believes that absolutely, uh, once this is being heard by a, quote, detached, neutral decision maker, um, suggesting an appeals officer, or quite possibly beyond that, the Franklin County Court, under which the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission's legal jurisdiction goes through, uh, which is really the state courts here in uh, in Kentucky, uh, that uh, other ideas will prevail. But for the time being, uh, as you said, Mandaloon is the winner of last year's Kentucky Derby. Could this go all the way? I mean, tell, how many hoops could could they jump through if they don't get the result that they want, technically? So, so the first step is the uh, appeal here with the commission. Yeah. And um, 
very much presumably that would fall in favor of the initial ruling. So there would be almost, uh, it'd be a, a long shot of all long shots, I think, to overturn it at that level. Then it would go into the court system. Uh, mind you, this same court, the Franklin County um, Circuit Court here in Kentucky, uh, they have already been involved in this case, right, um, in regards to how the sample and the split sample was being treated and whatnot, um, the the testing, rather, in New York and uh, the, the additional laboratory that went to, to look into it. That, that court has already been involved in this case in one regard, and it's likely to get back into it if the uh, if Baffert and his attorneys think they want to go the, the legal route. Uh, beyond that, it goes through then the state court system. It can, you know, if, if he doesn't get the relief he wants there, he can appeal. And once he appeals in the legal system, if there is, you know, if, if, if all the correct arguments were made and, and, and if there's no other findings of fact that are really in dispute, it, it will end in the court system. It's just a question of at which point. Um, so it could go to various appeals courts up to the state Supreme Court here in Kentucky. And then if uh, if they didn't get uh, what they wanted, or frankly, if the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission did not get the outcome they wanted, it could then be appealed uh, beyond that. But um, you know how those appeals get granted and, and decisions, th- those are not clear cut at all. I, I don't play a, a lawyer on TV, um, and I'm certainly not going to play one on your show. But that is the basic process. Mm-hmm. Um, the merits uh, will be determined by those individual courts if it comes to that. All right, let's talk about Baffert's suspension. How long has he got? 90 days uh, from March 8th through June 5th. And that is a a ban that should be reciprocated by all other racing jurisdictions. It is a little bit longer than I think most were expecting, um, mostly because the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission was indicating that this is Baffert's fourth penalty within a revolving 365 days from the time. Um, We have all said that this is not a a truly banned substance. It's just not able to be there on race day. Um, It is a therapeutic medication. It is not necessarily some vile performance-enhancing concoction. Uh, As a result... uh, 90 days to some feels like it's too little. To others, I'm sure it actually could feel like too much. But the stewards were indicating that this is the fourth penalty mm-hmm. uh, for for Baffert within the last 90 days or within the last 365 days. Interestingly, the Kentucky regulations don't show you what a fourth penalty um, within 365 day period warrants. It only shows up to three in 365 days to give you an idea of what we're dealing with. The penalty there that is listed is uh, 30 to 60 days for a third offense. Follow the logic. Uh, an extra 30 days on top of that is what has gotten them to 90 days. And the $7,500 fine is an extra 2500 on top of the the three offense maximum, which was 5,000. So the, if you kind of read between the lines of the regulations, Baffert is over what they normally show. And it seems as though this is really the maximum that the stewards could impose, 90 days and $7,500. But look, the greatest yeah. the, the greatest of all here is he's not able to run in the Kentucky Derby. We've pretty much known that all along. And a little bit more uh, punitively today, um, 
Medina Spirits Connections, owner, trainer, and jockey are out the majority of the $2 million purse. Yeah, so if Baffert appeals, which we assume he will, uh, he gets a stay. We guess he gets a stay. And now if he gets a stay, then how long is that appeals process going to take to come round? Too early to say, Nick. Um, I, I think that uh, there's every reason to believe it will take uh, weeks, mm. if not months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and does it put us right into the heart of Kentucky Derby season? It probably does. Um, but I think that his attorneys will likely be pressing the the, the time uh, the time button and, and say, "Hey, look, this is." These are pressing matters that it's incredibly important that they get relief as quickly as possible. That said, it's not stopping Churchill Downs from coming out and congratulating the connections of Mandaloon. And nothing really changes what Churchill Downs has done uh, months and months ago at the very beginning of this and basically said that uh, that they were banning Baffert for, for two years. Yeah, exactly. So even if he does get a stay with the KHRC, Churchill Downs' ban still stands and Presumably, he's trying to contest that at the same time. At what point do the owners of all these horses in the Kentucky Derby, and let's face it, Pat, he's he's got a ton of horses still in the race and a lot of them prominent in the betting. At what point do they say, we've got to do something to get these horses in, in the race? Well, we're getting to that point now, Nick. Um, in fact, this coming weekend, Baffert has entered New Grange in the Rebel Stakes at Oak Lawn. Uh, we're getting into the, um, that's a million dollar uh, race on the road to the Kentucky Derby. Um, he is not eligible for points in that race because he is trained by Baffert. Uh, so, you know, the, the the heavy points earning races for the, the road to the Kentucky Derby are well underway. We had the Risen Star at Fairgrounds last week, won by Epicenter, a pretty solid performance that. So uh, we're in the heart of, 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 starting to form the field for the Kentucky Derby, all things being equal. And right now that's not going to include any of those horses because no horse trained by Bob Baffert, Bob Baffert up to this point has accumulated any qualifying points. Uh, exactly that. Um, and we're assuming, are we, that the California Horse Racing Board will reciprocate the KHRC's suspension? It'd be shocking not to. There, there's every reason to believe that that they will. It's just a question of whether they get the opportunity to um, prior to appeals or ongoing uh, legal action. Okay, so with that in mind, then can Baffert hand his license to his assistant or whatever, as we've seen before? And can AN other assistant, Jimmy Barnes or whoever, just take over the license until such time as and then pick up points? I mean, if, if it was his name rather than Baffert, say, against the horse's name in the, in the Rebel Stakes, would that horse accrue the points? Churchill has indicated the answer to that is no, that it, they would have to go to another a trainer truly be in that bar, not of a of someone who was essentially under the employ of Baffert himself. So that that when they laid out the conditions against Baffert to bar him from racing at Churchill and his horses accruing points, the horse has to move outright and not stay within the uh, the direct Baffert network. Uh, Patrick Cummings there, director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. That's a story that is is developing and has developed significantly, obviously, but you fancy is is kind of going nowhere uh, for the time being. It's certainly not going away, and we'll continue to monitor it for you. Uh, David Yates joins me to discuss the news in Great Britain and Ireland and elsewhere this week. And David, we've got news of our own concerning our champion jockey, our multiple champion jockey, Asheen Murphy, who's up in front of the beaks, as they say today. 
Indeed, yes, it's the it's the hearing today. This was postponed from December, of course. We've not seen a Sheen Murphy ride in Britain since November the 12th. Today, he will face five charges relating to uh, the two breath tests. They, of course, were at Newmarket in September and at Chester in May. And I think uh, more seriously in terms of punishment, uh, misleading BHA officials as to his whereabouts with regard to COVID-19 restrictions. That was uh, in September. They've thrown in the, the, the catch-all charge of conduct prejudicial to the good reputation of racing. I think it's probably the, the breaches of the, the COVID-19 protocols as well as the misleading of officials that uh, will possibly carry the, the, the more serious sanctions here. Um, it, we were talking earlier about what sort of punishment Asheen Murphy might expect or what he might get as a result of this, that the, the entry-level suspensions for the, for the COVID-19 offences are all basically three months. Um, I would think he'd be looking at about six months uh, today. I, th I think last week I said three to six months on the Nick Luck Daily, and I've revised that upwards. I think that uh, that's more likely. Um, the BHA in December, remember that Sheen Murphy surrendered his licence in December, the the original hearing, I think, for the uh, was going to take place on December the tenth. Then there was a statement on December the sixteenth, uh, which talked about the deferment. And unusually for the BHA, they talked about the, uh, the 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 needs of the individual in this case, and that whilst they uh, were fully uh, cognizant of uh, their role as uh, the disciplinarian in this case, they also uh, had regard to Asheen Murphy's state of mind and the fact that obviously in December he admitted his problems and went off to to seek help for his addiction issues so we'll see how that results I I, I hope that there'll be a result today because I, I don't think that although there'll be plenty of mitigation on the part of uh, Asheen Murphy's lawyers it doesn't look as though the facts are in any dispute Yes, you've spoken to David Redvers, who's the racing and bloodstock manager to O'Sheen's boss, or one of his bosses, uh, Sheikh Farhad. Uh, what's he said? Yeah, indeed. The, um, it, the, there was nothing on the record, but it's clear that uh, the Sheikh Farhad camp, certainly for the time being, are sympathetic towards O'Sheen Murphy's plight. Remember that at Champions Day, wasn't it? Uh, Sheikh Fahad invited us to to walk a mile in his shoes. There was a, I thought, a, a not entirely unexpected, but probably unfair criticism of the press uh, for their role in this. But yeah, that, that it, it certainly seems at the moment that uh, that Qatar Racing are, uh, to put it in, in tabloidies, standing by their man. That they are. Uh, they are supportive of him. They realise that he has been quick to recognise his demons and to mm. deal with them. And certainly for the time being, I, I imagine that there will be a, a statement once the, the BHA's, um, once the, the independent judicial panel uh, has had their say, I imagine there'll be a, a statement from Qatar Racing broadly supporting Asheen Murphy. All right, they're just changing tack. Uh, Nicky Henderson, multiple champion trainer, a man who is readying a strong team for the Cheltenham Festival. I'm a keen 
a student of, of Henderson, his body language, his lead up to the Cheltenham Festival. He can often be pretty tightly wound at this time of year. My word, he cut a chipper figure when entertaining members of the media at Seven Barrows yesterday. He seems full of the joys of, well, we're not quite spring yet, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he's pretty breezy at the moment. The, the, the two horses that he spent most of his time talking about were Shishkin and Epitont. Uh, of course, he referenced the Clarence House chase at Ascot in which Shishkin beats Energumen, and he acknowledged that going left-handed as opposed to right-handed at Ascot uh, could be in Shishkin's favour. He said there's no way he can be described as a banker, but having won round one... And I think by fairly common agreement, it, Ascot was a good, uh, a good opportunity for Energumen. It's, it's understandable that Henderson is in, is in confident mood uh, ahead of the Queen Mother Champion Chase. Epitant, I thought, was probably more interesting, really. I think sometimes when trainers have the underdog there inclined to play a few more shots and everyone bar honeysuckle is the underdog here she's the unbeaten mare and the reigning title holder but we shouldn't forget of course epitont won this race a couple of years ago and she humbled Sharjah by three lengths she looked really good that day she's had something of a curate's egg of a time since then uh, with the back issues that uh, the seven barrows trainer is confident that he's now sorted out and he says she's back to the form that she was a couple of years ago when she won the champion hurdle he said a similar thing when epitont won the christmas hurdle at kempton on boxing day i, I think the acknowledgement here nick is that the champion hurdle this time around is likely to be a very good race but it's clear that the way that the wind is blowing at the moment we've talked about the champion hurdle picture and I think you may even have instigated this fashion but we spent about four-fifths of this season thinking that Honeysuckle was just going to turn up I think is it win number 15 it would be at Cheltenham that she would turn up, justify odds on favouritism, and then we'd all move on. And just over the last few weeks, that that feeling has ebbed a bit, hasn't it? It's, it's a bit more these days uneasy as the head that wears the crown. We've got Appreciate It, who's going straight there. The last time we saw him, uh, he was thumping his rivals by 22 lengths in the Supreme Novices. Uh, we've got uh, Chupo of Gordon Elliott's, who emerged as a candidate at the weekend, a horse who's very much on an upward curve. And we've got a, a, positive, a positive bullet in here mm. about Epitont, a, a mare who, at her best a couple of years ago, was scintillating in victory and is now getting uh, very much a positive upbeat from her trainer. So busy times in the lead-up to the Cheltenham Festival. Busy times too, as you'll know from this podcast, in the Middle East at the moment. It was Bahrain last week, it's Saudi Arabia this week. Also, uh, last weekend, the... Emir's Trophy, the biggest thoroughbred race in Qatar, took place. It's worth a million dollars now and was a pretty good race, but it was won by a horse called Outbox, bred in the purple. He only cost 16,000 guineas as a horse in training. So how do you turn 16,000 guineas for a syndicate-owned horse into a million dollars? Trainer Archie Watson, well done. Thank you very much, Nick. Um, oh, look, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing story for for the owners, really. Um, I think he was he was the price he was because we 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 were buying him off um, well over a year off the track. Um, he'd obviously had his issues, 
Um, but, you know, touch wood. And so far, he's he's been a sound horse at ours. And, um, you know, he always had the ability, um, you know, on what he'd shown before. And I think we were just lucky to, to get a horse that's worked out in, um, in, our, in our training regime, yeah. I mean, the point is... He's supposed to be a good horse. He was he was made to be a good horse. I mean, check out the pedigree. He must be one of the best bred horses in the world. He's by Frankel out of Emirates Queen, who herself uh, is a half-sister to Dubawi. So if you're a Frankel half-sister to Dubawi, you should be able to run a bit. Uh, did you know he could run a bit as soon as you got him? Um, he He's quite a tricky, you know, difficult horse to ride. Lauren Smith, who rides him every day, um, you know, has a quite a hard time with him. So he actually does a lot of his work solo, so as not to wind him up. So, you know, these sort of mile four plus horses, they're not overly impressive when you're just doing solo gallops with them. But, um, you know, as soon as we started running him, he took a little bit of time to get into it. He got beat over two miles um, late on at Kempton uh, the first day. Um, but then when we dropped him back on his third start at Wolverhampton, he won very impressively. Um, then he won a conditioned race from a good horse called Raymond Tooth, um, who was Richard Hannon's now, um, sorry, Raymond Tusk, who was Richard Hannon's now, Alan King's at Doncaster. And then we started to think, well, we've clearly got a stakes horse here. Um, and yeah, he's, he's gone on from there, really won a listed race at Newmarket last summer, um, was second in a group three to Owen Burroughs' good horse the following um, week at um, York and you know he's, he's been a very you know a good solid listed group three horse over here um, and luckily that translated to uh, being um, very competitive over there yeah. Now I've got a little bit of knowledge of the of the Doha form because I've covered that meeting a few times and the horse who was who was fourth Nora Alhawa gives you quite a good guide to what he achieved because he's just been an absolute standing dish in these races for about six years and Foxtail although he's he's quite tricky was a a pretty creditable but but well enough beaten third. I mean, you had the blinkers on for the first time. It's quite late in the day, seven, to be teaching your horse new tricks, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think probably he's he's just not as good on the all-weather. But obviously at the back end of last year, after the turf season finished, there were those sort of mile four races at um, Kempton. And he went over for France for one. And he just... I don't know, he just doesn't sort of quicken up on the all-weather like he does on on the turf. And, um, you know, I, I knew that a return to quick ground would help him. But at the same time, I thought, well, we're going for a we're going for a million-dollar race. I don't want to turn around afterwards and say, oh, we should have put headgear on. So we just put the blinkers on him in a piece of um, in a piece of work about ten days before the race, and um, and sent him out there with them. Yeah, and it worked. Luckily, <laughs> um, per, per, perfect syndicate horse as well. I mean, Hamilton Racing has had so much success for you. He cost whatever I said, sixteen, seventeen grand. How much did Glenn Shield cost? Not very much. Uh, Glenn was uh, forty-five thousand up at Goffs UK. He was in one of those sort of jumps type sales where Godolphin have their um, or used to have their sort of dispersals. Um, look, Tom Biggs, who buys all of these horses, buys all of my horses. He's he's just very, very good at, at finding these horses. Um, you know, if they've either got back form or or have a bit of time off, or you know, even the unexposed ones that run in maidens that work out very well. Um, you know, our, we try and buy horses. We try and buy horses that we otherwise couldn't have afforded as yearlings. You know, a horse like well, you, you were talking about Outbox's pedigree. I mean, he'd have been just name your price as a yearling, wouldn't he? He'd have been a million plus. Um, well, probably unbuyable. I am an unbuyable. Well, yeah, because I see exactly. Um, and you know, and, and a horse like Glenn, 
he'd have he'd have cost a lot of money as a yearling. So you know, we try and buy these pedigrees and and horses that you know are not ready made, but have already shown that they can be good horses. And you know, I've got a lot of faith in in um, you know my vets, my farriers, and the way that we train and the way that we manage our horses. That a lot of veterinary stuff that might put other people off um you know the, the one good thing about buying off these operations like Godolphin, like shadwell judmont when they do have their dispersals is is they're very upfront about these horses veterinary histories um so you can actually make informed decisions um you know about what you think that you're happy to train or what you think mm. that is, is manageable um and you know that's a huge part of it because that's the reason why these horses have cost you know, as little as they did, um, because there's obviously, you know, red flags in there for, for other people that don't want to take a chance on a horse that's been off for 14 months, 18 months, yeah. um, so forth, yeah. Now, I thought you were turning yourself into a national hunt trainer these days. Now, don't, I don't want our international listeners to take this literally, because it, but you have da- you're dabbling, you're dabbling in some in some soft national hunt racing or some hard national hunt racing. Um, Staghorn was a very good winner at Warwick for you, very tough horse. Is he gonna? Is he is he good enough to win win at the Cheltenham Festival? Do you think? <laughs> is he good enough to win? Um, he's, he's definitely good enough to to go there with a very strong chance. I hope um, he's. He's a very talented flat horse. The only thing that holds him back on the flat is he needs extreme trips. And and I don't mean a mile six, two miles. I mean, he needs two mile two on heavy ground minimum, really, on the flat. Um, and, you know, fair dues to, to Sir Martin and Ben Arbib when I tell them that I can only run him two, three times a year on the flat and be competitive. But I think he'd be a good hurdler. And they haven't really had hurdlers before. And they said, go on. You know, let, let's have a go. And um, he went to Henrietta Knights. He's 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 always schooled fantastically. And I think that's the main thing. You see a lot of flat horses going hurdling, and they just sort of get from A to B without really excelling. You know, in the air and um, you know over an obstacle. Whereas he, he saw at Warwick, he just absolutely thrives off it. Um, so look, he's in the Albert Bartlett. I took him out to the Ballymore at the stage this week because I did. I didn't want any sort of umming and ahhing about it um and you know obviously henry daly's horse of the english has has um shown himself to be very good this weekend but i think you know you'd have to think that staghorn and hillcrest would be the two of the home team um that would have the best chances Well, it's Tuesday, which means we go around the world with Weatherbees. Uh, for the Weatherbees segment today, we've got something a little different as we speak to Paul Ferguson, the author of the Weatherbees Cheltenham Festival Guide. Uh, this is the original Cheltenham Guide, now in its 23rd year, for the first time sponsored by one of our partners, Fitzdares. Uh, Paul's recognised as one of the most knowledgeable uh, people when it comes to talking about National Hunt form and packs just an incredible amount of insight uh, from a variety of contributors into over 200 pages of this betting guide and for some Cheltenham is not Cheltenham without the Weatherby's betting guide it's the 23rd year of this Uh, and Paul from what was originally a black and white guide just really based around trends it's evolved quite a bit tell us tell us how Uh, yeah the idea since I took over authorship Nick um, I did want to make it more appealing to those who like various other aspects of the sport not just to appeal to those trends followers so we've brought quite a lot in um, in the few years since I've um, taken over, 
obviously the trends and statistics still appear and, and do form an integral part of the book but I am a lot more focused on the horses individually and there's a lot more editorial and uh, various guest authors I have just touched upon and um, Aintree is included uh, which not a lot of people who haven't read the book know about since I've taken over the past three years we've included the Aintree Grand National Festival in there um, and I select just one of the other sections I select a dozen horses to follow throughout the spring uh, which is in the same format as my other publication jumpers to follow to bring a bit of continuity between the two books that that's excellent you've got a, a variety of, of authors as well and you've added some new names just tell us how you've chosen those and what specific angles they're going to be covering uh, well those who, who are back um, who've been in the book as a regular uh, since I took over Rory Delaghi takes a look at the um, short price favourites or the well-fancied horse on each day from a banker and bust perspective and gives an in-depth um, editorial on each. Don McLean takes a, a detailed look at the Irish view, um, at the Irish runners. Jess Stafford, who I know appears on your show quite regularly from um, a breeding point of view, she, she um, produces the breeding angles um, side of things, a feature where last year she focused on Jeremy, who had a successful Cheltenham Festival. Um, this year, again, she takes a look in detail at one uh, Sire in particular and a couple of others who are coming through. Andy Gibson, um, who is obviously popular from his notes on the clock um, work. Again, he, he looks from a time perspective as well as how he goes through his races. And the new contributors this year, uh, we've got Graham Cunningham, who takes a look at the news stories, what, what could be the big stories on each day. Um, and Sam Turner joins us and he, he, he chips in with it with the daily tips for each day of the festival. Uh, and Paul, yeah, obviously you are trying to cover more bases now, but but people still associate this book with the with the trends analysis that that really was the with the foundation of it. Are there any horses this year that that perform particularly well or particularly poorly that that might be names that everyone's everyone's talking about in the lead up to the the festival? Um, yeah, certainly from. Um, a negative trends point of view one one short price favourite uh, who would probably fall down on some of the key trends that would be Gallop and Deschamps if indeed he does go for the Brighton Advisory um, on the Wednesday the three mile race I'll just read a couple of statistics out that he would he would fall down on French breads um, French bread horses are north from 36 during the past 15 years uh, there's only been one winner this century he's only had two chase starts um, and there's only been two winning six-year-olds in the past 27 years. Now, on the flip side of that, those two winning six-year-olds were both trained by William Mullins, uh, Florida Pearl, and Don Poli, and both of them, incidentally, had only had the two chase starts. So perhaps it's no coincidence that um, Willie gives them the younger horse a lighter campaign if they go down a three-mile route, but it's it's certainly something to bear in mind if um, if people are focusing on Gallop and Deschamps. Yeah, so you're getting a trends negative and a sort of micro-trends positive in the same horse there, aren't you? That's the whole point about trends, isn't it? You have to work out how to interpret them and work out what the reason is behind them. Yeah, exactly. They should, and that's the thing I've always said since taking over. Trends should never, for me, be taken as an end. They should just be a guide. Each horse should be looked at individually. Um, and I think one thing that should be could be notable over the next few years, maybe, and certainly this year, something when I've been going through recent results and things, I think we're definitely going to see trends evolve. And we've seen it with the Albert Bartler, for example, um, for years that um, it was thought that, that a horse with plenty of experience was needed for that. But I think it's a better race now than it was a few years ago. That kind of thing will change. And something that maybe 
slightly less significant one of the trends I touched upon there the amount of runs a novice has um, in the past that's something that we focused on a lot but um, we've seen slightly frustratingly for a lot of people throughout the season that, that we're used to smaller fields and horses having a lighter campaign in the build up now so maybe over this year and the coming years things like that will start to change that's something that Graham actually touches upon in, in his articles he he talks about the layaway festival and the lack of runs from horses and he I think he's championed the likes of Edward Stone who've been campaigned um, a bit more aggressively he'd like to see him go and win for that reason alone Obviously, all the horses in the Weatherby's Champion Bumper, and it's the 25th anniversary of the sponsorship of the Weatherby's Champion Bumper, are lightly raced, unexposed star, stars of the future. But are there are there ways that we can try and intuit the winner from from your book? Uh, apart from realizing that Facil Vega was just ridiculously impressive at the Dublin Racing Festival. Uh, yeah, again, I think this is a race that's changed dramatically over the years. We've seen maybe going back 10, 15 years, you, you could focus on the horse, the, the completely unexposed horses who might have only had the, the sole star. But in recent years, certainly, uh, those with the stronger form being brought to the table have come to the fore. Five of the past six winners had already won enlisted or graded company. Um, seven of the past 13 winners were rated either top or second top. This is the only time in the year that... that the bump horses get an official rating is just before the champion bumper. Last year, Kilcrook was actually the highest rated horse to have ever contested the race. But um, say seven of the past 13 winners were either top or second um, on those official ratings. And of course, the Irish are the place to start when you're looking at champion bumper. There's been 29 renewals of the Weatherby's champion bumper so far, and um, 22 of them. Uh, 22 of those winners were trained in Ireland so only 7 of them were trained elsewhere so again the, the Irish dominate the top of the market as you would expect and um, I think the top 2 set a mighty bar personally uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Many thanks to Paul for some great input there it's worth saying that listeners to this podcast can get £4 off the cost of this excellent book when you use the discount code LUCK22 on the Weatherby's online shop just go to weatherbyshop.co.uk and head to the Cheltenham section and Dave, just a footnote, there's an interesting piece by, by Mark Holder. You'll just have to fill a few of our, our listeners in as to who Mark Holder is and, and why you were interested by it. Yeah, I was just interested in this piece. It, it won't trigger uh, massive controversy or comments, I suspect. Mark Holder is a professional punter uh, who is also a, uh, a columnist for the Racing Post on occasion. And he ju- he's just written an interesting piece with regard to handicap marks. Um, Mark Holder is is decades into uh, his time as a as a professional backer of horses, and whilst last week and over the last few days, uh, in the wake of Tiger Roll's uh, handicap mark, and of course that of uh, reigning champion Manella Times for the Randox Grand National, this was announced a week ago uh, in Liverpool and created something of a stir, obviously with uh, the O'Leary's. Uh, withdrawing or, or telling us, in fact, that Tiger Roll will not run at Aintree on April the 9th. Mark Holder's written an interesting piece whereby he says there are at least 10, uh, sorry, at least 20 factors that he considers uh, more relevant when it comes to having a bet in a race than uh, a horse's handicap mark. Um, he says, if you think about it logically, just because a horse has won off a mark of 117 and is running off the same mark, what does what is that tell you? He says the answer is virtually nothing. Uh, he considers things like the, the, the form of the horses that a horse has beat, the time of the race, which is interesting given uh, Bruce Millington's 
comments, the former editor of the Racing Post, about sectional timings uh, last week, the pace of the race, the quality of the rides, uh, etc. And so I just thought it was quite an interesting piece whereby sometimes I think many of us obsess about uh, handicap marks and as Mark Holder points out in his uh, piece many pundits refer to uh, a horse being back to its previous winning mark and, and um, some such and I just thought this was quite a, a thought-provoking piece whereby someone who makes their living from backing horses tells us that in fact racehorses ratings aren't that important. And Dave have you got a tip for me for today? Indeed, Nick, in the 7.30 at Savile, it's Lady Lou. Uh, this is a filly trained by Michael Dodds, who scored at 80 to 1 over course and distance at Savile in the middle of last month. It's just one pound higher as a result of that, and with the win under her belt. I hope that Lady Lou can now take a step forward. So it's the 7.30 race at Savile. Selection is number eight, Lady Lou. And of course, I can't quite go yet, because what was I doing last night? I was at the Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Awards, which was a TV ceremony this year hosted by Ollie Bell. We'd been judging the awards all day. And Paddy Trainer, a stalwart of Mark and Charlie Johnston Racing, was named Employee of the Year. There were six wonderful winners. Um, Paddy will be the most garlanded this week. But to everybody who reached the final stages, and indeed to everybody who entered, and to all the people who entered, people who they work with, thank you very, very much. Any chance we can make this a, 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 we can move away from the virtual next year, Nick, with uh, with the, the Stud and Stable Staff Awards? We are hoping to move back to a, a ceremony, but maybe have a television element to it as well. So we could go go double fun next year. But yes, we want to get a, a ceremony back in, in London. But just the, the Omicron variant threw a spanner in the works at the last minute. But it was, a again, a, a terrific night. And congratulations to all involved. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. I'm off to Riyadh and Tom Stanley has to sit next to me on the plane. Two planes. That was Tuesday, February the 22nd. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. <laughs>